I'd like to invite our kids who are here this morning and our youth too as well if you would come. We have a story to share today. Good morning. (laughs) Good morning. Oh, you got excited when you saw the gift. You've probably slept since then, but for those of you who have been in confirmation before, you might remember this gift. It's been in my office for a long time. (laughs) But I bring it whenever we talk about gifts. So I want to know who of you that are gathered this morning can tell me what are gifts like? What are presents like? Who wants to share? What's a, what are gifts like? Thanks, Libby. A gift is, is kind of like when somebody gives you something that they have out of their own, out of their own profit, out of what they use, out of what they make for a living, and they give you what they have. It's, it's cool. It's cool for them to do that. It's something that was theirs. It's their own. They worked hard for it. They're sharing it with you. Thanks, Libby. What are gifts like? I'm just going to tell your family you're not that excited about gifts. They're like like mysteries, but until you open them. Mysteries. We don't know what's inside until we open it. They're They're awesome. Hamish likes gifts. Tell me again, Ross. That's two two thumbs up, and we had another two thumbs up over here. Gifts. They're pretty cool. They're a mystery. It's something that somebody gives us that was their own. They worked hard for it, and they give it to you. I brought this today because, um, did any of you happen to glance at what's on the table up there behind us new today? Oh, I saw your hands on your heart. Do you recognize those? Second service today, what's coming? Yeah, our third graders are going to receive their Bibles. Do you remember some of you receiving your third grade Bible? That's the gift that our church is going to give our third graders today. Oh, it's a blessing. It is a blessing. And this is not only a gift from our church, but it's a gift from God for so many reasons. And uh, I, I love the song and how it tied in today. Thank you, Kitty, and Pure Joy, because it is a gift that's alive. And the way it all came together is just astounding. I can't imagine <laughs> And it's a gift from God. And every time we open it, we're not sure what we're going to find there. So since today we're talking about the church being a place of healing, I wanted to share a story with you. And I asked you to come down because this story happened when I was a youth. I was about 14 or 15. I don't remember exactly. I was a freshman or a sophomore in high school. And um, in Sunday school... I don't remember what the lessons were all the time, but we used to have a little take-home thing, and it had a suggestion about reading your Bible Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, that you could tear out. I guess it kind of probably had to do with whatever we were supposed to learn in Sunday school that week. And I wasn't really sure how to use my Bible, so that was one of the things I tried, is maybe I'll read these suggested verses every day. Well, one day when I read it, it was especially powerful to me because... For some months, maybe for about a year, I had a big fear. I had a big fear because at that time, our country had gone to war, um, Desert Storm, if you remember. And the year before, my eighth grade, it must have been ninth grade, because the year before, my eighth grade science teacher scared us 
with all kinds of things about predictions about the end of the world. I don't know why a eighth grade science teacher is allowed to do such things, but he did. And then in my English class that year, we were reading all kinds of stories, fiction mostly, about war. Oh, and just I got more and more and more scared. And it got to the point where I was having nightmares. It's the second time in my life I remember having nightmares. And I was the same one over and over, and I'd wake up, and I was so scared. And I didn't know what to do about it. I was kind of scared to tell anybody. I thought somebody might laugh at me, you know, for being scared of that. I wasn't sure who to talk to. And then one day when I got home from school, I read a passage that was on that little slip of paper from Sunday school. It was Luke 12:22, and it starts talking about do not worry, about look at the birds of the air, God takes care of them. Look at the lilies of the field, oh, how God clothes them. Don't worry about what you're going to eat and what you're going to wear about these common, everyday things. Can, does it do any good? Does it make your life any longer? Nope. Nope. Do not worry. God takes care of the flowers and the birds. God will take care of you. Seek first the kingdom. You know, where your heart is, your treasure will be. And that was the first time, the first time that I remember when I read the Bible, I thought, God is talking to me. This isn't just a book I'm reading about people who lived a long time ago or Words that mean something to somebody else, you know, kind of like you're reading them in English class. It was like God was talking to me. And that was a gift of healing I will never forget. Because all of a sudden I could breathe. And when that fear clenched up in my chest again, I could go and read it again. I go, oh, God tells me not to worry. Don't worry. Don't worry. I don't know what's going to happen in my life, but I know that God is with me. I know that God is with me. I don't know what mysteries the Bible is going to open to you. We all need healing and hope and joy in different ways. But I pray that as you continue to read and hear stories from your teachers and family and friends, that the word is alive, that the word is alive, and then it speaks to you. Thank you for listening to my story today. We're going to do something a little different for our prayer time, if you would. Since this is the day we're going to give the Bible to our third graders, would you all stand and come stand around the table where these Bibles are? And I want you to pick one, whichever one you want, and I want you to reach out and put your hand on it. Because I think there is something powerful in that. I think most of you here received a third grade Bible from this church, and this is your chance now to pray over these and the children who will receive them. So let's pray. God, we give you thanks for the gift of your word that is alive. May these words continue to speak to us and bring life and hope and healing to us. Bless these now. That more of your children will receive this day. That these who have gathered who have received in their own day. May they receive it and read it and believe the good news. And they live their lives in your love and to your glory. We give thanks in Christ's name. And all God's children said amen. 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 Thank you students.
Well done, Pastor Caroline. Thank you. And thank you for that dedicatory prayer. With Pure Joy and with Hamish and with Ross being here. It's a milestone kind of moment. It is. Third grade Bibles. And if you've been part of a Methodist community for a long time, perhaps maybe all your life, perhaps even in your childhood, whether it be quite a while ago or whether it be not too long ago, you may remember if you were fortunate enough to be part of a congregation who did this, who did this, who believed enough in you and enough in the promises of God's fresh word as it comes to us from Scripture, and as it comes through us from other places as well, that they brought both of those things together, you and this Scripture. And that's a blessing, and that's a blessing. So thank you. Thank you, Pastor Caroline. Be in prayer, if you will. Uh, for these four fourth graders, third graders, let me get my math right, um, as they come at 10.50 to receive their Bibles. It is a wonderful thing to be able to pray and to encourage and to support relative to these young ones in their journeys with their God and our Lord and the witness of the Scripture that I pray they will come to love. Now, as we continue this particular series, I am, I am grateful that Pastor Valerie and that the remainder of this staff um, took it upon themselves to name the timeliness and the need and to name this particular series on certain words that, that declare and bear witness to being the church. It's been a rich series, and I pray you've been blessed by it. And today, the word healing is added yet another word, profoundly important word, comes to us today. For here's the truth of it. For as long as there has been a First United Methodist Church in Garland, as long as there has been a United Methodist Church, as long as there has been a body of Christ in the world in all of its manifestations and expressions and locations, as there is a First United Methodist Church present in Garland, Texas, and the surrounding area in this present day, and as long as there ever shall be a First United Methodist Church in Garland, a Methodist presence in the world and the body of Christ in the world, there will be people of God who are absolutely committed to and willing to courageously step forward with their God and with their Lord to live into God's healing and to provide ways and means both right here at home and across this planet and across time and space to bring the possibilities in partnership with God and our Lord Jesus Christ, the possibilities of God's hunger to heal in a broad, expansive way to any and to all, and who will be willing before the world, before the community, before others, who will be willing to participate also with a transparency and an open-heartedness to be direct recipients of God's hunger to heal. And so we praise God for that this day. The second scripture passage that we will hear now 
to go along with that selection out of Psalm 103 is found in the 10th chapter, the 13th chapter of Luke's Gospel, beginning in verse 10. One of the many episodes of Jesus' healing, but particularly apropos today, and so I invite you to reference the screens or your personal Bible or your electronic Bible and follow along. Now, if you will, listen for the fresh and expressive Word of God. Now, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And just then, there appeared a woman with a spirit that had crippled her, had crippled her for 18 years. And she was bent over and was quite unable to stand up. And when Jesus saw her, he called her over and said, Woman, woman, you are set free from your ailment. And when he laid hands on her, immediately she stood up straight and began praising God. But in the midst of her praising God, the leader of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus was curing on the Sabbath, kept saying to the crowd, There are six days on which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be cured, not on the Sabbath day. But the Lord answered him and said, You hypocrites! Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to give it water? And therefore ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for eighteen long years, be set free from this bondage on the Sabbath day? And when he had said this, all his opponents were put to shame. All of his opponents were put to shame. And the entire crowd present in the synagogue was rejoicing at all the wonderful things that he was doing. This again is the word of God for the people of God today. Thanks be to God. Amen. I want to bring my cheat sheet today because if I think to do it in a minute, I want to read you something from a particular individual. But until then, go with me into that church service, will you? Go with me into that synagogue in that unidentified, not identified location, maybe somewhere in Galilee, close by in Jesus' home territory. It was the Sabbath day. It was the day for worship and for prayer. And gathered there, in that local place of worship were the faithful. And maybe some of the not-so-faithful. But they were there. And there in that worshiping congregation, I want to believe in my own mind and heart that this particular lady, afflicted for 18 years with a certain malady, probably something like an arthritic condition in her spine, perhaps the most dramatic and developed of those things, being such that over time, that arthritic condition and the material generated there causes that spine, particularly in the lower part, to ossify. And so that slowly but surely, from an upright standing position, this lady over time found herself increasingly brought this way, to the point that for 18 long years, this 
was her daily way of being. This was her daily way of coping, of living. This was her daily way of seeing and understanding the world and people around her. I want to believe that she was in her congregation on that Sabbath day at worship because she wanted to be. She was not there in any sort of understanding of taking advantage of a situation of this, of this new prophet and healer coming in to be the guest presenter that day. I want to believe that she was there because she was always there. It was her way. On the Sabbath, it was a day of worship for her, in spite of her situation and circumstances. It was a day of prayer. It was a day to be part of the fellowship and of the congregation that she had known for years, come to love. And in spite of her affliction and some of the pervasive interpretations floating around and existing in silly ways that day, saying about her, that wouldn't be happening to you unless something was terribly wrong otherwise, and not just physically, but spiritually in her relationship with God and her practice of her living. I believe that that congregation there knew her and loved her, and appreciated her, and each and every day, not just on the Sabbath, but each and every day, 24-7, they sought to care for her, and to encourage her, and to include her, in spite of what some may say. And so she was not there for any other reason on that Sabbath day, except that was her church, and when her church opened the doors, she would be there, and... She would be there to give God glory, to worship, and to join with her sisters and brothers in the work of prayer. She was not looking for anything special for her, perhaps. You know, we never know when we come to church. We never know about church. We never know about Those of us that show up in our houses of worship on the Christian Sabbath, we're probably no different from how they were back then. Sometimes we show up on fire, ready, willing, full of of good fuel to give God praise and glory, and we're there to do that. And then some, on some Sundays, we show up, but we're not. We show up out of obligation, or we show up because our kids are doing something, or our grandkids are doing something, or we show up because it's just what we have always done, and our expectations are not necessarily elevated, are they? We just show up. And we show up not just because it's us, but because of some or all of the people that we meet there and have for a long or short period of time. But our expectations are not necessarily great, but we hope in some way they are faithful. And I think that was the way with this woman here. And while she was there, though, Jesus was in the house. Jesus was in the house. 
And in the midst of delivering the teaching that Jesus was delivering, he saw her. He invited her over. Now, you need to kind of understand this. Uh, Jesus was not in that moment the big authority figure saying, you lady, please come over here. I'm going to make an illustration out of you. Oh, no. No. In fact, I see Jesus getting down at eye level with her. I see Jesus when slowly, painfully, very haltingly, she comes to him and everyone else is holding their breath. But everyone else is holding their breath in that little synagogue congregation in the hopes that something great was going to come to this child of God, this daughter of Abraham, this fella person of faith that they have known and cared about and loved for so long and had prayed time after time after time, year after year after year, God, please do something for her. I can see their expectation, their hope, their anticipation rising. And so she comes over and Jesus, in order to look her in the eye, either does this, so they can look one another in the eye, or he gets down. So he can look her in the eye and afford her that dignity and respect, love and consideration. Maybe knowing something about her faithfulness. And he says, friend, you are loosed. You are delivered from what ails you. And immediately upon laying hands upon her, she raises up whatever is back here in that lower back of hers that has got her in that position is no longer there. And Dr. Luke says that she begins immediately to praise God. And I think that is a telling word. For in that place, what does she do and what does she not do? She does not jump up stretch her back and say, oh, goody, now I can resume my life's agenda that I have put on hold for the last 18 years and given up hope. She doesn't say that, according to Dr. Luke. She doesn't also say, what took you so long? She doesn't say that. She praises God. Thank you, God, for every large and small Tender mercy. And by then, I suppose, Jesus has straightened up himself, gotten up on his feet, helps her back to her place, and continues. And then there's the interruption of the leader of the synagogue. Now, the leader of the synagogue means well. Luke doesn't tell us that that explicitly, but I believe the leader of the synagogue means well. Because being somewhat knowledgeable and somewhat of a depth about certain places, particularly in the book of Exodus, like chapter 34 and chapter 15 and chapter 35, if you're interested enough to go read about Sabbath day prescriptions and prohibitions, this leader of the synagogue understands 
that according to modern day interpretation, his modern day, that trifling with the rules and regulations of the Sabbath is a tricky business and penalties can be quite severe. And so he speaks up. And instead of addressing Jesus directly, confronting Jesus, Jesus directly, he, he kind of in a sideways manner confronts the lady and her implied in his mind motivation and confronts the rest of the crowd. He says, why get healed on the Sabbath? The Sabbath's all about worship. It's about prayer. It's not about focusing upon yourself. It's about focusing on God. And what God wants to do. There's six other days in the week you can come up here and maybe get yourself healed. Do that. Don't run those risks. Don't trifle with our current interpretation of what the Sabbath is for and what it's not for. Maybe in some part of his heart he was looking to protect the lady and the rest of the congregation from serious error, or maybe he was looking to take a pot shot at Jesus. But whatever the situation was, Jesus, right then, right there, Jesus confronts him. Hypocrites, he said. He says, even on the Sabbath, There are ways and means to do essential work. There are ways and means to respond to an emergency. There are ways and means to respond in love and kindness and caring to people in their need. And of all of that, who in the world would deny this dear lady? Who herself is just a legitimate, card-carrying, bona fide child of Abraham as any of the rest of us here? A chance to be delivered from something that has afflicted her for 18 long years. Shut up the critics. Caused a whooping and hollering and applauding situation in church. Because, you see, it was the church folks hearing this. And they were rejoicing and celebrating in the middle of church, not just because Jesus had given an interpretation of what the grace and mercy and love of God, whether it's poured out on the Sabbath day or any other day, is all about, that some were saying in the general culture, no, 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 no. But they were applauding for this lady and the grace shown to her. Now, here's another thing I believe about this lady. This lady had this physical arthritic disease or condition, yes. But this lady had enough depth of perception and discernment, being the person of faith that she was, to know that in her own heart and mind and in her own desperate wants, the physical curing of that condition was not at all all that was there that she prayed and hoped would be paid attention to one day. For she rightly believed, according to her own culture and her own time, 
But beyond her own culture and her own time, she rightly saw that there were deeper, more underlying conditions and circumstances that didn't need curing like that condition, but needed healing. And she knew the difference, therefore, between curing on the one hand and healing on the other. And so has the body of Christ all these years. And so what Jesus does for her in that occasion is a cure for the physical disease and a broader, more comprehensive healing for the rest of it. And the end product was a woman of faith Surrounded by a community of faith that loved her, supported her, interceded for her, included her, honored her, valued her. That believed and gave thanks for the God who hungers to heal. Now... The concern of this sermon and of this series is what it means to be the church. In all times and places and occasions, even if during the passage of time and circumstance, certain things, small sometimes, large other times, a tweak here or there or a huge paradigm shift in the life of God's church, anywhere at any time, in spite of the transitoriness of time and place, what will God's church, what will Jesus' people always be about? And today, the notion is God's people, God's church, this church, these people, you, me, we will always be about wanting to link ourselves with Support one another in, include, honor, and value each other, and together reaching out and linking up with our God and our Lord who hungers to heal, not just cure, and occasionally, for witness to Him and to glory of Him, will choose to cure, but even more important, the wholeness of a broader-based mental, emotional, physical, and spiritual healing. We will hunger to link with our God, make ourselves open to that type of healing in our own lives and walks, and then join this God in His healing hunger and work in the world. You may ask, well... If that be the case, when people like you and me and like this lady in Scripture in Luke 13 arrive at a place where that's precisely what we want to have happen in our own life and we begin that healing road with our Lord, short term, long term, all of life, some of life, what then does it look like for you and for me? to be a part and an instrument in God's healing work, I might ask you to once again 
do something like this. When Eldred plays his, his postlude at the end of the service, don't get up and run off real quick. Sit there and enjoy the postlude. And as you're enjoying the postlude, open your hymnal again to page 428 for the healing of the nations. And when the postlude is over, take a moment and sit where you are and carefully read those four stanzas. And there you will see in each stanza a faithful action activity that will define what a healing and a being healed people do, what a congregation does, what a denomination does, what a body of Christ does with their God in the healing work of the world. Now, I'll be honest. If it was up to me, I would cure every single soul of whatever malady afflicts them right then, right there. I would be, I would be, I wouldn't even ask God's permission. I would just heal. I would cure whatever it is, and I wish I could. I look out across this congregation, and I would wish that for you. Whatever it is I could cure you of, I would. And let God clean up the mess. Okay? But I can't. I can't do that. I can pray for your and my curing. But that's about a particular circumstance or malady. What I can do is work for your and my involvement directly and personally in the healing of God all across the width and breadth of our lives and our willingness to let that happen. And I can pray for your and my partnership with God as this God who hungers to heal calls us to participate with Him.